0: Welcome to another episode of the Mountain Bikes Apart podcast. This is a show about everything mountain biking, from kit guides to trail guides and everything in between. I'm Colin Gray and I'm joined, as always, by Tom Bell. How are you doing, Tom?
1: Hi, Colin. Yeah, good. Thanks. How's things with you?
0: Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Have you recovered from the lurgy you were talking about last time around?
1: Yeah, again, it's, <laughs> it's a slow, uh, slow, slow progress. Um, yeah, slow process. And, uh, yeah just sort of fighting the tail end of it off now so back in back in training at least which is which is the main thing
0: you still feeling still feeling a bit ropey though
1: yeah, i still sort of got a few of the symptoms there that um, I, I, I'm sort of keen not to push too much because yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I don't fancy a few weeks of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just just trying to be trying to be sensible.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a question for you then. So as a, a professional mountain biker, obviously, this is your job to get this stuff done. How ill do you have to be <laughs> to 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 abandon your training program?
1: Yeah, I mean, I could, I could still probably have pushed through it and uh-huh. got some fairly sort of decent training sessions out of the way. I was just yeah. trying to think more long term yeah. and do do what I can to to minimise the amount of time that I am ill. Yeah, um, it's, it's when you when you're sort of training day to day, you think that when you take two or three days off that everything's ruined and you're, you're sort of back to being, um, slow and you've lost all your shape. But the truth is that it comes back pretty fast and yeah. you can, um, you can be off for quite a long time and not lose heaps of fitness or certainly yeah. not yeah. that you can't get back within a week or two. So yeah, yeah. Try to try to not be too, uh, too hysterical about yeah. it when, yeah. uh, when, when you do have to take time off.
0: So your philosophy is, if you're ill, if it's if it's enough that you feel bad, then actually just stop, recover as quick as possible, um, and then get back to it properly after that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's it's whether I'm kind of trying to judge whether. Uh, am I doing the training that I need to do if I'm too ill to get done what I kind of have planned and some of the goals and that kind of thing then it's just better not not trying to uh you know half-arse it kind of thing
0: right so you don't you don't do just some light stuff because I know I know some people I like I know that do a lot of training when they're ill they'll just say oh I'll just jump on for 20 minutes and just you know keep up the fitness at least you think that's a bit pointless
1: um, I, I, mean, I did, I did jump out on the bike a little bit just to keep, uh, keep the muscles activated, keep moving and uh, kind of for a, a mental sanity kind of yeah. side of things as well, just to get outside. And, um, I tried to do some, some gym work. So, mm-hmm. uh, maintaining the core strength and, uh, lifting some weights and that kind of thing, yeah. which, uh, doesn't have you, you know, breathing too heavily and, uh, and that kind of thing. So I, I tried to keep, keep active but not uh not sort of prolonging the illness by digging digging a hole for myself and driving myself into the ground yeah
0: okay cool makes sense i've just i've seen the question come up quite a few times actually like yeah should you train through illness and all that so yeah must be something yeah i
1: think I think generally they say that, um, if it's above the neck, don't they, it, it, it's generally okay to keep, uh, okay. keep riding, yeah. keep riding at a fair, uh, maybe a little bit of a reduced level. And then once uh-huh. it gets below the neck sort of onto the chest, it's time to, uh, just take it really easy and let that sort of, uh, something like a chest infection really okay. go away before you do anything, uh, yeah too too hard yeah that makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's
0: considering you're breathing harder and need your lungs uh yeah chest infection probably doesn't mix very well with exercise (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay cool so last time around we mentioned the fact that this is basically you getting into the season proper now isn't it Mm -hmm. Uh, so you've got some races coming up you must be getting into your training so a couple of things i wanted to ask you first of all when it comes towards or when you kind of transition from off season to on season, how does your training change? Does it change?
1: It it does change. Um, I mean, the the silly thing is that the um, traditional kind of training um, or or way that training would change is that you do sort of these big base miles in the winter um, to establish that kind of um, aerobic efficiency, aerobic base and then you transition more towards specific training so for me um, as a cross country racer the specific training is more high intensity you know shorter rides and that kind of thing and the annoying thing is that obviously in the UK the uh, the weather's not that great in the winter when you're supposed to be doing the most amount of hours yeah um which, which can be uh, a bit tough to manage sometimes but yeah, generally speaking, my training will start off less specific and more about establishing establishing general fitness. And then it will transition more towards uh, specific fitness for the actual races that I'm doing. So short, slightly shorter rides, slightly less volume and uh, more high high intensity.
0: Right. So when you say specific fitness, you mean actually riding like you would in a race? Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. So including some intervals, I, I mean, I do, uh, I, I still try to maintain a high volume sort of throughout <laughs> the whole season and yeah. always do some, some longer, lower intensity rides to keep that aerobic base sort of topped up as it were. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, the intervals that I do are more, they become more geared towards what you would experience in a cross country race. So, you know, yeah. 30 seconds, a minute of hard, um, over threshold kind of work and then back down, Um, and that kind of thing just to build the vo2 max build the functional threshold power and that kind of thing
0: yeah yeah okay that makes sense all right um what so what races you got up and you got coming up in the next couple of months how does it start off you said you missed one already is that right
1: i did yeah so unfortunately i had to miss the first round of the british national cross-country series Mm -hmm. which was down in south wales um so yeah just just thought i'd be sensible and try to try to sort of focus more on getting getting a bit fitter and yeah, getting yeah. back to health yeah and uh yeah so the next the next round the this the second round is um down near reading mm-hmm. um uh, a sort of on a sort of private private wood private estate um so that will be the next race that i'll be doing which is yeah. on the 23rd i believe okay. of this this month yeah and um and then after that i um Get on a plane again and go nice. to uh, Romania, of all places. Ah, okay, it's not not somewhere I've been before. <laughs> so, what what's going on in Romania? So, there's a, a UCI race um, out there. It's kind of a double-headed weekend where the the very next day there's a, a UCI marathon race, uh-huh. um, which will act as a kind of qualifier to the World Championships. Uh-huh. So, uh, I need a top twenty at that marathon race to qualify for the World Champs. Ah, okay. Um, so ambitious as it sounds, I'll be doing yep. the, um, the the sort of UCI cross-country race <clears throat> on Saturday and uh-huh. then the um, marathon on the Sunday. Right, okay. Do you, <clears throat> just interested
0: because you talk about going to all these events and stuff, and actually I want to talk a little bit about uh, how you transitioned and to being a pro racer as well, how you define that and all that. Sure. But just... It must be part of your. Do you, maybe you don't want to share this, but fair enough if you don't. But how do you pay for these all of these things? Is that do you pay for that yourself, or is that sponsors actually bringing you out to these types of races?
1: Yeah, so it's um, it's sort of sponsorship. So I, I do get I do get money. I do get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, which which covers all the um, all the travel expenses, all mm-hmm. the you know food, all all the expenses that go along with with the race. Yeah. Um, we also as well. Um, when we travel to these um international races we often Mm -hmm. contact the organizer who's often willing to contribute to our flight costs and put us put us up in hotels and that kind of thing to bring international international races to to the races Uh, so that was that was the case yeah so that was the case with the algarve bike challenge that we just talked about in the last podcast Um, so yeah, essentially it's uh, it's paid for by corporate sponsors. So I've got a corporate sponsor yeah. um, that, that pays for that, and then there's obviously equipment sponsors as well that provide yeah. provide the stuff. Which you can then, if you if you get to keep that equipment, you can then sell it on at the end of the year to yeah. recoup some more money and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, I'm just interested how it works. Um, that's yeah. So so it's to the benefit of the race organisers to have international racers there. I suppose it makes their their event look more legit legitimate is that right
1: i think so i think exactly yeah so we did um when we were out at the algarve we did kind of a tv interview and that went out on the portuguese um you know but tv channels and stuff so yeah. and like you say oh, i think okay. it gives more sort of uh more clout maybe to these to these events when uh when there's some international presence there
0: yeah yeah okay well that leads in pretty well to what i wanted to ask you about as well It's something that's came up with a few listeners with um just myself as well curious in terms of, you know, like, there's a lot of people I know who... Um call himself bike racers because they both mountain biking and road biking a good friend of mm-hmm. mine lives just a few doors round from me and he um used to do a lot of racing but didn't get paid for it exactly and had a traditional job at the same time
1: yeah <laughs> so worked <laughs>
0: nine to five day times but did uh, loads of training in the evenings and the weekends and did races at the weekends too like what's the difference how do you transition do you think or how do, maybe you're a little bit different because you've you've kind of gone into this straight uh as a from youth level, I suppose, haven't you? Is that right?
1: Yeah, I kind of um it, it's a strange one because there isn't a direct sort of path. Yeah. Um I, I don't think there's a there's a direct path to um to being a professional. And yeah. um <clears throat> like you've alluded to as well, there's a bit of a loose definition with the word professional. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not a professional in the sense that I get, a, you know, a full time wage that <clears throat> just, um, you know, pays for me completely to, to live and, and, and all that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. I'm a professional in a sense that I get money from companies to race my bike, but yeah. it's not like I'm, uh, I'm completely living off that, that money. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and there are some obviously there are the, the top athletes that do that um generally in the mountain bike cross country they're the sort of top 30 in the world cup yeah, yeah um the sort of top 30 in the world will be on some kind of full-time wage whether that's from a um their team you know a yeah, bike sponsor yeah. or, or their team or their national federation as well um you know if they've got olympic programs and that yeah, kind yeah. of thing um so speaking in the uk there's um essentially one guy so grant ferguson who's scottish and he's the national cross-country champion he's um he's kind of our main fully fledged professional Um, went to the Rio, rio olympics and that kind of thing yeah um and then basically in the uk at least everyone else is kind of on um the the kind of similar sort of deals that i am i think in terms of um getting money to um to, to pay for expenses and yeah. maybe a little bit more on top of that and then support from bike shops and bike sponsors yeah. um but a lot of them yeah just uh have some sort of supplementary income whether that's a full-time job or or something part-time and yeah. flexible
0: yeah so i mean and you have to search for your own sponsors don't you? you've talked to me a few
1: times about going out on that uh that sort of almost a sales uh trail indeed <laughs> yeah exactly so i'm i'm a bit funny in that i like to have my own program and just mm-hmm. choose the sort of sponsors that i want to work with so i, I could you know apply to be on some kind of established team mm-hmm. um which would be which would be good um in in a number of ways but i like to just try and approach different companies myself and offer sort of a tailored package for each um yeah. and uh and work with different the, the companies that i kind of i'm interested in working with so yeah. Uh, It's definitely a a harder way to go and more time-consuming, but um, sometimes it's it's really fulfilling and it's nice to uh, it's nice to sort of partner with uh, these different sort of interesting companies. Yeah, who who was your first sponsor? I think my my first proper sponsor was probably a um, Spanish bike company called uh, MSC, Mm -hmm. um, and they make really really nice um, sort of high-end. Uh, carbon and aluminium bikes um, and pretty small company they're based in Barcelona mm-hmm. and um, I spoke to their um, their kind of uh, distributor in the UK and was partnered with them for a little while um, so I, I really enjoyed riding riding their bikes. Um, so I is it, say, is yeah. that
0: when is that when you think you transitioned into being or your mindset you were suddenly a professional biker at that point or when did you think that changed?
1: I think yeah uh, it may be in my head that's what I was trying to uh <laughs> trying to sort of aim towards I guess once I left university so I won I won the um university sort of uh British university championships mm-hmm. and um kind of decided after that once <laughs> I'd left university that I was going to try and um and see how far I could take it yeah, and yeah. uh and try to be Try to go towards national championships and um world championships um going into the commonwealth games and olympic games and so essentially from there i've just been trying to uh trying to get better every year and try and work up work up that ladder so to speak
0: yeah what do you what is so right now you are you're almost a uh, self-managed team aren't you Uh, of your of just you and you organize your own sponsors you're almost your your team manager as well yeah Um, that's how you make your own money that's how you pay for your kit your trips you get some sponsors some extra from the organizers too what's the i mean what's the next level up do you think you say you wouldn't want to or you prefer not to ride for a team but what would what would it take for you to join a team then
1: yeah, so this is something I, I sort of think about quite a lot as well. And um, I guess the, the main thing I've got to focus on is trying to get my results just, you know, better and better mm. and everything else kind of falls into place after right. that because okay. that gives you more notoriety, it gives you more, um, uh, you know, publicity and you're more well known as your as your resu- results improve. Yeah. So um, I try to focus on that as the principle, just mm. trying to um, get faster and get better results at um, national and international events. Um, and I guess from there you'd then maybe have a better proposition to go to corporate sponsors. So maybe you could get more money, um, yeah. more support from them if you if I still wanted to run my own um program. Yeah, because yeah. It, it is an individual sport in in I mean they have teams at uh, all the World Cup um sort of level um, at, at the World Cup level they all have teams and they're all generally supported by a bike company so wow. you'll have Trek factory racing or BMC racing or yeah. Cannondale factory racing um, but, but once they're in the race all those racers are racing you know for an individual yeah. place there's yeah. not really any yeah. team tactics going on so Aye. it it can still work as an individual sport and, and someone yeah. that's supported individually but Um, obviously there's a lot of support a lot of resources with these um, these sort of factory teams so um, I guess once you got to that level it would be more um, it would be better and far easier logistically to, to join an established team yeah
0: I mean well the thing that occurs to me is whether you could you spend could you get better quicker could you improve those results quicker with a team do you think if they were taking care of the logistics and helping you with your training and stuff or do you think you're doing well enough as it is
1: I, I definitely think that that would that's that's the sort of next stepping stone towards um, really high performance when everything's taken care of for you. Yeah, um, I, I feel like I'm still at the stage. I, I'm definitely still at the stage where I'm trying to get to um, a level that I would be kind of accepted on to a, a, a big UCI team mm-hmm. like that. So yeah. Sure. Um, I think I, I still, uh, and every rider is generally speaking, unless they've gone straight into uh, a national federation program. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're doing it on your own, you, you kind of need to get to those results before, before that kind of, uh, team setup becomes a reality. And yeah. at, at this stage, I just don't feel like the, some of the teams that I would perhaps join would, would help enough in that kind of logistical side of things. Yeah. It would be more just, you know, uh, a lot of equipment um, being given and, and yeah. that kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 But, once,
0: but once you think, you think once you get to a sort of your next level in terms of results and stuff like that, that actually joining a team at that point is more worthwhile because, well, that's presumably because they would reward you better because <laughs> you're kind of a higher level yeah. rider and they would give you the better training. And that's kind of the next stepping stone. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, in terms of the training, I'm, I'm, uh, I, alongside kind of doing um all the racing and having the sponsorship and stuff i, I coach a lot of riders so that's mm, kind yeah. of my supplementary kind of job and career um so I, i'm quite uh, i'm quite sort of up and reading all the leading edge training stuff so i'm I'm fairly fine with coaching myself and even at the very top level there's a lot of self-coached athletes so it would be more more on the logistical side and yeah. and the the sort of uh yeah salary and equipment side of things yeah, yeah. so it's just, it's just when when it ticks over to being worth it sort of on that side of things i think yeah. would be the would be the I, the point of change
0: yeah yeah no thanks for sharing that it's really interesting actually it's um because it, it it's not really that transparent in how it all works i suppose especially in a yeah. i don't know I, we're kind of we in, in Britain particularly we have these sports where there are definite pros you know you play football for example in a premiership team or something and you get paid a decent wage and that is your job all the time and all you do is train and play and that's it but yeah. a sport like mountain biking sadly like you say there's only one proper professional in the whole of the UK at this mm-hmm. um, from what you're saying so shows that it's probably not the most supported sport so people kind of obviously have to make their own Uh, take their own path I suppose in some ways and make their own jobs like through sponsorship and and coaching and and doing stuff like this as well I mean like running this podcast with me and uh, writing a blog and things like that so yeah it's it's really interesting to get a kind of uh, background on how it all works how it ties together because there must be a lot of people out there listening who love the idea of um mountain biking for a living even if it's not racing maybe it's the coaching side of things maybe that's something we should cover a wee bit in the future actually yeah, sure. how you could be a professional coach because I've done some training in that years back as well so um, actually yeah if you're if you're out there listening if you want to know a bit more about that side of things because we'd probably delve really deep into that um, like how you can make money out of mountain biking all the different jobs that you can do in mountain biking if you thought yeah. you wanted to turn it from a hobby into a job but I know there's probably lots of people out there who have absolutely no interest in doing that they they just love it as a hobby so um but if you do want to hear that give me uh, give us a tweet uh send me a tweet over to on twitter at the podcast host let me know um if that's something you'd like to hear about and we could maybe do a couple of episodes on that in future uh okay cool no, that was that was good um, yeah I'd like to. I've been curious about asking you for that uh, for a while, and been waiting for an yeah. episode where we could fit it in. So,
1: right, cool.
0: right. Let's do a uh, listener question. So we've got one in from Greg Pully, uh, who was asking about a particular type of bike. So Greg wrote in and asked about. Uh, the best budget full suspension bike that you can find um, and you and him had a, a couple of back and forth via email didn't you so I just wanted to cover that in the show because I thought there was some good stuff in there Yeah. Um, so it starts well. let me read out his question first this is from Greg Pulley do you have a list of the best options for a full suspension cross-country stroke all mountain bike? Price range would be close to a thousand US dollars. What I'm actually looking for is one for my 12-year-old son, who'll start racing cross-country this year, and one for myself that will be riding with him. I, however, want something comfortable and easy to climb. Anything will go uh, anything will go downhill fast enough for me. <laughs> so um so this is a this is a really common question. This is someone I got. In, I used to get in all the time through the website, and in fact, it's why I wrote the if you're interested in a kind of wider answer to this, um, Greg and anyone else out there, we've got on mountainbikesapart.com, which is the website for this show, we've got on there uh, something called the What Mountain Bike Guide, uh, and that guide is uh, about 10-15 pages long, just going through how to choose a mountain bike, what mountain bike will suit you, uh, gives recommendations for, you know, top five all mountain, top five cross country, top five under 500, top five under 1000, so so there's lots of recommendations in there um but great to chat it'll be great to get your opinions on this as well tom just on the show here um sure. so uh he is looking for under a thousand dollars uh one that will suit uh, a kid who's starting to race cross-country and for him to be able to keep up with his kid by the sounds of it <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts
1: yeah so uh like you like you said me and greg had a little bit of um discourse over email and um essentially my my current response to him was that um uh obviously a full suspension is going to be a great bike but at um around a thousand dollars which was his budget um Mm -hmm. it might be worth um and especially for his son looking more at a kind of hardtail bike um to start off with just because you're going to get a little bit more um, bang for your buck, so to speak. So you're just going to get a a better better frame, a better suspension fork, without having to worry about putting some of that budget into a rear shock and all the um, all the complexity that comes with a full suspension frame. Yeah, and um, and for his son as well, being being twelve years old that kind of reduced weight that you'll find going from a full suspension to a hardtail is going to be a lot more noticeable. It's going to be, it's going to allow him to um, maneuver the bike and climb hills a lot, lot better because the, the additional kilograms or the additional weight of the bike is going to be a higher percentage of, you know, his total weight as, as a rider and bike. So it's going to be a lot more noticeable than, than that of an adult. So that was kind of my main, my main, um, uh, sort of opinion um, yeah, on that yeah. kind of thing yeah. um, I, I don't know if would, would you agree Colin would you say the same sort of thing I think so as well yeah absolutely I mean especially cross country racing um,
0: it, if he's wanting to be serious about the racing in particular I mean, he, a lot of cross country racers use hardtails don't they they've gone back because of the simplicity because of the um, uh, the weight and all that kind of stuff I, yeah. some use I, I think I've asked you this before haven't I the most, are most on hardtail rather than full sus.
1: most are actually going to uh, quite a lot of, there's a move definitely more towards full suspension know, now with, it. okay fair
0: enough yeah, yeah.
1: with it with the courses getting more technical and that kind of thing yeah, yeah. Uh, but okay. at the same yeah but at the same time they're obviously um very high, very high-priced, very uh, yeah. lightweight carbon yeah. bikes. So, yeah, totally. what Yeah, when you're still kind of in the realms of aluminium and um, yeah. a, a lower budget, then um, the simplicity, as you said, of a hardtail and the, and the lower weight is a, a lot more noticeable. So at our level, yeah.
0: And I mean, do you know what, I so I moved back. I've talked to this a couple of times in the show. I moved back to a hard tail last year for a few different reasons. Uh, simplicity, a big part of a um, cost. I could get a lot more for my money, mm-hmm. um, but it still wasn't a huge effect. Actually, it was more just the fact that I, I find a hard tail bike can just make me go further. I just, I enjoy the exploring and getting around and I just feel like it's, um, yeah, it's great for that. And, uh, uh, the only I think yeah for for that budget you're i I would totally agree it's just you need you could get yourself a full sus, um, I think maybe canyon bikes we talked about this, didn't we um do a full sus for less than that, but it probably is very low end of the range, it's maybe not gonna last as long even though they're a pretty good uh brand. Um but yeah, I'd be I'd be really tempted just to buy, it. especially if he's, if your kid's gonna race. He's gonna be he's gonna be taking this quite seriously. You want something that's gonna last a couple of years, take a lot of pounding if he's gonna start training and stuff like that. Um and a, a good hardtail is gonna be far better value than a very average or even bad full sus. So that's kind of that would be my thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's 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 what I was thinking. And um yeah, some of the other kind of suggestions that I that I made were um, to maybe look at like some last year's kind of bikes that yeah, essentially will be, ju- will be just a, a slight upgrade in terms of some, maybe some slightly newer components and a, and a yeah. different paint job. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, yeah. essentially they're, they're all, they're all very similar. They, they, they're all going to be great bikes and you can get them for a, a substantial amount of money less, yeah, yeah. um, with it just being one or two years older, Yeah. um, and Canyon are, a, are definitely a good one to to check out because yeah. with them being direct direct to consumer there's no kind of distributor taking a cut in the middle you just get very very good value um and the the components that you would get on a on a Canyon bike the equivalent from one of the bigger bigger companies would be um a lot lot more expensive yeah, yeah. Um, and i believe Canyon are coming to the US which is i think where Greg is based mm-hmm. um they may have, they may have already uh, moved over there, but I know they're. If not, they're they're coming very soon. So, definitely, canyons a good one to check out. Yeah, cool.
0: I mean, uh, the standards the the i can t- the thing is we can tell you a few of the kind of secret brands that are really good in the u k like we've got um i feel like on one that are a really good brand uh, but they're not i don't think they're in the u s you might get them in the u s you could probably get some second hand ones out there in the u s maybe um you'll get great value with them um even with white's another sort of u k based company uh-huh. uh, orange as well um it's great but is am I getting that right orange is u k based isn't it
1: They are, they're they're based in uh, quite near me actually, in Halifax Um, and I I believe they've just they are also another company that have just gone to the US very recently so Uh that's a good option
0: Yeah. Yeah. What's the orange? There's an orange cross-country bike that people swear by Is it the, um, it's a number 426 or something like that the summer
1: it's got a nickname
0: yeah I'm not not 100% sure actually it's they've got there's a hard tail I think it's 426 I can stick it in the show notes um, afterwards if you want to go and check it out we could put it in the show notes we'll link to it you can find the show notes at mountainbikesapart.com forward slash 307 for season 3 episode 7 you'll find a link to it over there but I think it's called the orange um, 426 something something to do with summer (laughs) that's useless (laughs) should have looked at it beforehand but it's a It's a really good bike um, for all purpose riding and uh, it would be good for a cross-country racing anyway. Great quality. But I mean, if if you don't spot any of them, uh, Greg, uh, and anyone else out there listening, looking for a bike like this, I mean... it's it's hard to go wrong. You can't go wrong with the standard brands like Specialized, Trek, Cannondale, mm-hmm. Giant. Um, and like you say, Tom, look for look for last season's ones and you'll get a complete bargain on some of those brands because people that follow those brands are so kind of fashion conscious. Yeah, <laughs> they'll, exactly. They'll get rid of their 2017 bikes. Um a year later so you can buy a second-hand one of these bikes for like less than half the price of a new one and it'll be just it'll be perfectly good condition maybe just need a wee service a couple of little upgrades and you'll get this really really good bike for very little um, yeah, absolutely. Or, or again like you mentioned tom like just go to the shops and look for last season and they will be like 30 40 50 off even uh, yeah so yeah hope that helps um yeah, so I hope that was useful, Greg, and uh, we hope to hear news of your son going out and winning some races this summer. That'd be good to hear.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, that'd be great.
0: Cool, okay, and I hope you can keep up with him as well. Let us know, do keep us updated, send in a wee email or um, or a follow-up in a few months' time, let us know what you did get and we can report back to everyone on what you went with, uh, how you're finding it as well, you can give us a wee review and uh, how you're, uh, you're managing to keep up yourself. All righty, I think that'll do it for another week, Tom.
1: Cool. Yeah. I think we've, uh, we've talked about some interesting stuff. There. <laughs> yeah. I
0: yeah. hope so. Hope so. <laughs> I hope so.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> we talked to good Hear your feedback though, out there in listener land. So if you're listening, uh, let me know. We've been doing the last couple of months since the uh, turn of the year, we've been doing these kind of updates a bit more general and some listener questions, what we we're up to just now, covering a few random topics. Um, so it'd be good to hear how you're finding this type of show because in the past we've done season-based shows where we've covered, you know, a particular topic. So season two of the show was how you uh, customise a bike for yourself. So how you choose a bike and then make sure it's really well suited to you, like all the different components, how you make it, you know, perfect for your own context, the type of riding you do. So I quite enjoy doing those kind of seasons because we can plan it ahead. We can treat it almost like a course and you end up with... um a bunch of episodes all tied together and really teach you something in depth. So we could go back to that. We could do another season of that in the next few months if everybody's interested in that. So let me know what you prefer. Um, easiest way is by Twitter. Just go to uh, Twitter.com and get me on the podcast host and send me a tweet and let me know what you think. What type of episodes do you want to hear in the future? Cause you want to make stuff that people want to listen to. Um, Equally, if you have any questions, any comments, you want to send us anything to put on the show, send it in. You can do that via email as well, colin at mountainbikesapart.com. And the last we ask I'll make, I've not mentioned it in a while, is uh, reviews. So uh, as you know, uh, one of the biggest ways that people listen to podcasts is on iTunes. Now, I know a lot of you out there will be listening on something else, like Android or something like that. But I bet you, even if you're on Android, it's likely you'll have an Apple account, uh, either for a Mac or for, I don't know, an iPad, it using the side or something like that. Um, and if you do, if you are either an iOS user, iOS user, or you have an Apple account for iTunes Store or whatever, if you can pop onto the iTunes Store, um type into the search box mountainbikesapart.com or just mountainbikesapart podcast our podcast will pop up there and if you click on the podcast and the search results, you'll see that there's a little review button right below the title. And if you could pop in a review for us, I would so appreciate that. If you just take the time to do that, it'd be amazing because it's such a good way to get the show out to more people. It helps us gather more listeners, make the show better, get more questions and more feedback, all that kind of stuff. Helps us make the show bigger and better for you. So if you can pop on there, find us on iTunes, give us a star rating and a review. You can give an honest one. If you think we're rubbish, give us a one star uh hopefully you'll be giving us four or five stars five stars hopefully um and even if you just give it the star rating rather than a review that's great too so if you can do that i'd appreciate it i haven't mentioned it a while so i hope you don't mind me going through it for a few minutes again anyway what have you got coming up this week tom anything exciting Uh, oh no it's friday today so anything anything this weekend
1: uh i think uh we've got some friends around this evening, so. I'll just be uh, out training the rest of the day and then we've got so we've got that this evening and then I'm not sure over the weekend um, cool. plenty of training as usual yeah. but um, should have some should have something uh, something exciting going on specific, I'm
0: sure yeah. we're heading to Ailith actually there's a, a mountain bike trail at Ailith because there's a few of our friends coming down uh, the hot, it's uh, a friend of my wife really but I'm good friends with her husband as well now um, and he's really into his bike and he's more of a downhiller so we're going to go up to Ailith pump track and he's got his name year old daughter really into it so um we're going to go up there take the bikes up and try and get the kids to go around the trail a few times so that we can try and uh, sneak a few rides ourselves so (laughs) that sounds
1: good (laughs) that sounds cool i'll have to check that out actually i don't think i've um i don't think i'm familiar with that trail so oh it's just uh, a a
0: tiny wee thing like it's uh, it's one downhill skills loop which is maybe uh all of 400 500 meters long takes you, okay. It takes you less, you can get down it in less than a minute if you're if you're moving. Um, and then it's got a pump track, which you can just sort of zoom around and do some tricks on and just sort of up your skills a wee bit. And then it's got one downhill section if you ride up the hill a bit, which takes maybe two or three minutes to get down. So it's good fun. It's like, it's not a, it's not a full day out, or anything, but you can go up there for a couple of hours with the kids and uh, have a good time and still get it's some dishes things Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's good fun. Sounds Plenty great. of tabletops great. and uh, doubles and all that kind of stuff Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for another episode. Thanks again for spending time with us. Thanks for uh, giving us your ears for however long this has been 35 minutes. And uh, if you can come back again next time, that'd be brilliant. We'll see you then. Talk to you next week.
1: Catch you soon.